When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to announce that this is another good podcast for you guys. Uh, This is a podcast with a dog owner, uh, interesting enough, in Italy, and is dealing with leash reactivity, but is going through some things that I think a lot of you guys are, are also struggling with. With the, um, She's doing a lot of different things, but none of it's working. And so she's working on leash reactivity. And I think we get through some some really cool ins and outs of of what to do and how to troubleshoot and how to cre- find creative ways to get in with, with this particular dog. And um, as always, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. If you, as the listener, have a question for me and you want me to personally answer it, I can do that, and I will do that, because I appreciate you guys very much for listening. All you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave a review in the review column, and then within the reviews, you can just leave your question, and I'll answer it next week. We're just about out of questions, so anybody out there got a question, go ahead and leave it. If you guys are listening to on Spotify, we are, right now we are the number one dog training pets and animals podcast in the entire United States of America, which is amazing, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, maybe it'll change in the future. Maybe not. Maybe we'll hold this number one spot and uh, keep growing and 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 keep educating and, and learning. I have a lot of really cool stuff for the podcast studio, which is the studio that we built in my facility. If you guys haven't watched the video format of the podcast yet, you can head over to my YouTube channel. But we're starting to have a lot more guests on, so I'm 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 very excited to have people in and talk about different things with with food and diet and nutrition and exercise and muscles and hunting and scent work and detection and police work and and ring sports and we have a lot of cool stuff uh, in 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 place. The reason why I really didn't do it before is because I like talking to people face to face. I really enjoy those conversations. I obviously like body language and behavior, and it's really nice to just see somebody face to face. And all my other guests have been over the phone and and things like that. So we have people coming in. We're actually doing one next week with uh, Bob Owens from Lone Duck, which he's a um, he primarily focuses on retrieval work with dogs and the sport of, of retrieval with hunting dogs. And I think not just hunting, shed hunting and all sorts of different things. So excited about that. So podcast is only going to go straight up from here. Very excited. So I appreciate you guys listening. Again, support the channel. Go ahead and leave a review. And if you guys didn't know, we just came out with a brand new No Bad Dogs coffee with my best friends in the coffee industry, Crew Coffee here in Saratoga. Get your bag in the link in the description below. Some of the percentages go towards uh, dog rescues across the country, which we're donating, I think, quarterly, but 
regardless, we're raising money, we're helping people, and it's a beautiful cup of coffee that I created myself. Enjoy the podcast. So I didn't send you anything because I thought um, it's probably better that I just verbalize. I have some some bullet points summarized if I just give you a quick overview. Is that ha- how you'd like to start off? Yeah? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, fantastic. Firstly, I have to say I really enjoy your channel and uh, it's given me a lot of comfort and advice over the years. Thank you. I'm glad. Awesome. You're welcome. So, okay, so Coda, he's um, he's three and a half years old. He's a rescue dog. Uh, he's a bit of a mix. I've had his DNA done. He is 25% Anatolian Shepherd. 25, uh, 12% uh, Swiss Shepherd, 12% Saluki, and the rest is a mix. Uh, we've had four trainers, two of which have been behavioralists. Um, my take is that he has fear and protection aggression, not entirely sure when each plays out in each situation. I've committed to train him highly to give him the structure and leadership that he needs. He clearly knows that I am the alpha, and I think too much structure stresses him. He needs to be more free on the lead, on a long lead, to feel happy and confident. I'm I'm asking myself that question, asking you. Um, I am successful in having him off the lead in the forest trail, ensuring he stays behind me so I can avert any danger ahead. Rarely he does not listen to the recall when he is distracted. Very affectionate with those humans he knows. He knows a lot of people. We are quite social. Um, Does not let strangers come close. Will bite if they try to pat him. Um, Starts to bark if they look at him in the eye. Uh, Yet if they ignore him for five minutes and he has a chance to smell them, generally he is fine. We now always do this with a muzzle on when in public. He's bitten so many people, not not deeply, but you know, drawn blood. It's okay. very embarrassing and not good. Anyone who approaches any of us, meaning the immediate family, and Coda is beside or in front of us, he will react to. It starts with a growl and then a bark. He does not like children. Yet once he knows that he, once he knows them, he is affectionate. But I'm not sure I can ever trust a child around him, even if he does know him. He's very playful with dogs, um, but it takes time to get to know them. He will attack most male dogs in the beginning and not get comfortable with intact male dogs ever. Um, and is this insecurity and fear? Um, Walking, he reacts and lunges at most dogs, even from 15 feet away. I do all the drills to reinstall my leadership, change direction, distract him with food. I even use a pet spray, Um, all with limited success. He still gets very, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, reactive. He he walks, he's walked once a day and lives in a big garden. Um, Uh... I'm not sure whether a walk should be a training session or a free walk. What colours should I use? Um, I use the commands of heal and break. I also use a gentle leader for better control. 
but only when I sense danger ahead. So that's a bit of a stressful walk, really. Um, he doesn't like the gentle leader. It doesn't give him the freedom he appreciates. Mm-hmm. I do have an e-collar, but I'm confused on to whether this is a good thing if he has fear aggression. Should I consider a prong collar? Never had one. Um, protective of food and in our bedroom. Growls at close family when on the bed with me. He was castrated at 11 months. Um, some people have said that's a bit too early. Um, so my objective is to learn how to best to manage him, how to change his emotional response rather than obedience train him, lessen other dog reactivity. Um, okay, so let's and uh, yeah, yeah, let's start. Let's start on 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 unwinding from there. So Coda is. Uh, got some issues with dogs, uh, specifically, uh, and with people as well that he doesn't know. Uh, he's got yeah. some resource guarding issues with you uh, at home. It sounds like. Um, yeah. So why don't you? Two things I want to go through first that, that's helpful for me is cool. I want to know what was your experience with other trainers and the things that you did that worked and the things that you did that didn't work because I mean somebody else. Four other people coming in and trying things. Let's just figure out what they did and didn't do right um, yeah. or wrong. Sure. So that that'll help. Yeah. So what would you know? It doesn't have to hmm. be anything in specific. Just briefly summarize hmm. some things that had happened because you're here for a reason. So I just want to know what what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think everything that I I've learned from them has worked to a limited degree. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so, yes, as I said, very similar to your techniques in terms of distracting them with food, changing direction, and just trying to socialize him more with people in crowded situations, which he does fine. He doesn't enjoy it, but he does fine. Really, he does. Um, so, as I say, it's worked with limited – nothing's fixed it p- periodically. Like okay. you're still – yeah, launching at ninety percent of dogs. Okay. So, and that that was with all the trainers. That's the accumulation. Is yeah. you you go out and you're still struggling. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm the the fourth trainer is only a couple of weeks old now. I'm just sort of you know I feel like a bit of, on a bit of a green mile, but it's more about me and us getting the confidence of how to manage him rather than whether he's going to survive this process or not. Oh sure, absolutely. Okay, all right. So, what is your biggest concerns? Lunging at other dogs or people on walks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then would you say that's the biggest concern? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Okay. Let's dig into that a little bit. So when – a couple things. When you're – how long have you had him? I know he's three and a half years old now. Have you you had him? Three years. Three years. Okay. So do you know his past at that five-month mark? Like, do you know? Well, he came from Bahrain. He was uh, rescued as a, a young pup. I think they were rescued when they were about eight weeks old. Um, it was the whole litter without his mother. Street dogs, feral dogs, wild dogs? Yeah, I'd dogs. say so. Okay. I'd say so. Because that matters, right? Because it's like mm. – and, and, and by the way, you know, that's it's not a good or bad thing. I just – it does matter because when you – 
have a dog, like say you say you got this purebred golden retriever or whatever, any purebred dog that you paid for and they have all these genetics and these pedigrees and they were raised with kids and they were raised with other dogs and they didn't go until 10 weeks and then you're seeing some of these behaviorals. That kind of tells you about genetics, right? Because you're like, oh, maybe something's off there. But when you have a street dog that acts like this, that may be not genetics at all. That's just just like with people, right? It's like, why does somebody act a certain way or whatever? The, the, the development is important and the background is important. Anyway, mm. so that's interesting. So, okay. So ha- you've been seeing this reaction or this behavior since when? Since you've had them? No. Um, so I think perhaps when adolescence kicked in with him, I would say, um, you know, eight, nine months it started to happen. Um, it certainly was more dramatic after the castration, which was at 11 months. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so you feel like after, after the, the surgery, it, it's gotten progressionally worse. Okay. Well, it, it's starting, it's not getting worse and worse as we're into year three now, but yeah. After, okay. After, yeah, and the training, the, the training that you've been doing, you've been in these different training camps for weeks and months at a time. No, it's been one-on-one training generally. Um, he, he tends to get quite um, fearful in a, in a, a camp full of other dogs and tra- and people. Okay. Um, so it's been effective for me to do one-on-one, and you know, thankfully, I'm I'm prepared to invest the money on that. But um, okay. And it's only been like the first one was just remote because it was in COVID lockdown. Got it. Um, so she didn't even saw the dog, um, but. Uh, it hasn't been intensive, no. Okay. Yep. Good. Good information for me. Okay. <clears throat> so let's break it down. You get Coda. You go outside. What does this look like? So what's your what's your what's your walk look like typically um, when you're outside with Coda? What does that look like? What do you do? So up until now, because I've moved from one trainer to another here in Italy. Um, you know, the first trainer is very structured and so like he needs to be healing beside you the whole time until you say break mm-hmm. when he can have a sniff and a pee and do what he wants to do, but then he's back to heal again. Um, despite, regardless of whether there's some dangers in front of me or not, if we're in a, in a quiet street, you know, um, so the new trainer is saying, long lead, let him go, like give him 10 feet, let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost break all the time, but of course, if something's coming, you can pull him into heel. Um, so he's much happier on the retractable long lead because he's running around sniffing. He's eating a lot of grass, by the way. I don't know why. Um, and then I can pull him in when I need to. So, that, so that's working quite well. Um, I don't have much control on the, on the reaction, on the retractable lead. Right. So when you're out with him, what lead are you using the retractable or are you switching? So I'm changing. Yeah, I am. Okay, I've cool. got a short lead, a retractable. And it's more the collar as well. I, I, now this new trainer has said, no, put him with the harness. Um, what did you have before? Which I, which I can control him. The previous Italian trainer had him on a chain slip collar. Okay. Okay. That was just wasn't working. He was pulling on it the whole time and wearing away the hair on his neck. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, okay. I would say, how is, I would ask this, how is your obedience with him in a non-distracted environment? And not only how is it, but what do you have in your toolbox? What can you get him to do? 
So he does most things, and it's very good, actually, particularly when there's food involved. Um, so he sits, you know, he'll he'll walk around me to, to sit at the heel position. He, he lies down. His recall, when he's not distracted, is very good. Um, yeah. Okay. I'd love to be able to play games with him, but he doesn't seem interested in balls, by the way. Okay. So what about heel? Heel is good, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Generally, yeah. So it's, it seems to be a constant sort of reminder to him, but... Okay. So it seems when the distraction of other dogs or other people is present in the environment that you're training in is when things unravel. Yeah. And he's generally fine with people. No problem. Okay. He'll walk, he'll Mostly walk dogs. closely past other people. It's just dogs. And as soon as he sees a dog, he's like this. You know, he's like... Okay. Now, have you done any type of variances of him being social with other dogs off-leash? And does that change at all? It does, absolutely. Um, I don't risk it with... Um, I don't risk it with uh, male dogs. However... We have some close friends who have a female and a male dog and the two chats, he gets on fine with them and he's often with them for days at a time. Okay, good. Uh, good. So I, I'm just trying to figure out if <clears throat> if this is just leash reactivity mm. or or if this is selective reactivity because there's a big difference between leash reactivity and not liking dogs. And there's yeah. also a lot of variances of leash reactivity as well. So mm. it seems like it's maybe definitely leash reactivity towards dogs we don't know. And then if we're off yeah. leash and we know each other, we can we can hang out. Absolutely, yeah. And there's other female dogs that I'll just let him go and he's fine. He runs around the park off the lead. Okay. All right. Okay, so... I'll just be as quick as I can as far as really figuring out. I think if your heel is good, so here's the here's what I'm thinking, is if your obedience is good, your heel is good, the dog understands fundamentally what you're asking him to do. Coda heel, coda yes. down, coda whatever. If you're running into the unresponsive, yeah, but there's a dog. Yeah, but there's a, you know, whatever. Yeah, but there's this. Yeah. Two things typically that you have to do as a handler to combat that. <clears throat> First thing is, is there has to be there has to be some sort of real excuse me, there has to be some sort of real uh first of all, accountability for blowing you off. So, you know, you're the you're the handler, you're the owner, you're the one in charge. So when you say code of heel yeah. and he's like, No, nah, I'm not healing for you, there's a dog, I'm gonna I'd rather go I'd rather go chew up on that dog. There has to be some sort of conflict for the dog in order for him to sustainably say, Maybe I shouldn't make that decision. We'll get into that in a minute. Okay. And and this is just again, over the years of experience working with dogs, that's typically the tipping point for a lot of people is they come in and or we work online or whatever and they say they say these things and 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 typically it's the marketing of other dogs and the currency of other dogs on either end of the spectrum whether it's playful or it's the other end right not so playful is typically because your lack of accountability when this dog decides to blow you off regardless of what they want to do and their intentions 
It's really that simple where they're like, nah, I'm not listening. Boom. You know, I'm going to bark and lunge at a dog or bite a dog or just try to go play with the dog. And you're just getting dragged. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. You know, so there's that. We'll talk about that in a minute and get granule on that. But that's typically fundamentally like one of the biggest reasons. Why not? You're going out into point of view of the dog. Your dog lives in your home with you and whoever else you live with. And that's okay. They like that. They're fun. But that's kind of like your house is like a big crate to them, right? They're like, this is this is where I lie. This is where I eat. This is where I sleep. This is where I drink water. This is where my people live. But when you go outside for dogs, especially living in a city, I don't know where you live in Italy, but it, when you when you go outside, it's like, all these things, you know, the dog's like, ooh, 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 ooh. They got all these smells. There's these people. There's these other dogs. So all this is so stimulating for him, right? He's like, man, this is exciting stuff. And so there's guidelines, boundaries that we have to have in place. If we don't have boundaries, what's the opposite of no, the opposite of having no boundaries would be just chaos just i we do anything we want there's no filter it's just we we just take what we want so there's this being a dog lover myself there's this balance that we need to have or that we should have or what i have found to be so extraordinarily successful with dogs of having these boundaries of just like with kids like we like we we get a kid out into you know they're they're sitting in the car and they're bored and there's really nothing going on you know and then we pull up to this really fun exciting Disneylandish type arena and they're like wow ooh 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 and we have to have certain boundaries to keep them safe hey 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 hold my hand look both ways pay attention to mom and dad don't talk to strangers etc and so my point is all this makes sense generally to 99.9% of the human beings out there. But the reality is, is when you're dealing with different types of breeds, different types of genetics, different types of dogs, and in your case, a street dog, feral dog, that's like, you know, just like a street feral human, they are cut from a different cloth. Therefore they act differently and their perception of consequences and their perception of law enforcement, if you will, of like, Hey, we, we got to, Hey, pay attention, you know? could be different from others. Uh, Their sensitivity levels can be different. And so to me, it seems like your dog understands the value systems and the manners that you've put into place, just like, please, thank you, et cetera. So, hey, man, walk nicely on the leash until I release you. Thank you very much. Uh, Sit when I ask you to sit because I'm ordering a coffee or talking to a friend, Uh, so on and so forth. But typically that line gets dissolved and the boundaries are crossed when we say coda heal and then coda sees a dog and then we crouch and then we wait and our hackles go up and we're just waiting to pounce Mm. that's where you need to have some some sort of information to say hey man snap out of it we'll Mm. talk we'll we'll get granule on that but the other thing is is also the reality of a realistic fair transition of obedience and what that means is sometimes it's a mixture oftentimes it's a mixture of things but if you have a dog that doesn't doesn't have a good uh transfer of obedience which means sometimes we don't put in the proper work to transition a dog from 
doing basic obedience inside with nothing going on in a clinical environment, a studio, a set. It's not real. It's not, it's not real for what we're asking, right? So we're saying, hey, man, got some food. And he's like, so, so again, like your, your home is such a low value system. Dogs get so used to a home so quickly and it becomes kind of eh, mundane to them. They're like, eh, whatever. That's, I've been in this room. I've been on this couch. I'm just chilling. And then all of a sudden you, they hear that treat pouch or they hear their name and they come running over to you and they have nothing else to do. And they're like, oh, thank God you're giving me something to do. They smell the food and they know it's coming and you say sit and they go boop and you say down boop and you say heel boop, right? And they're walking nicely and it's great. But the moment you take that basic obedience and then you say, okay, now we're going to do this outside is a big moment. And if you don't transition it properly, then you're going to lose your marbles. You're going to lose everything. It's not going to, it's going to be very frustrating. So mm-hmm. my point is, is those are typically the two big reasons why dog owners like yourself end up into these situations is uh, that transition. And then if the dog decides to say, I'm not doing what you want me to do. And then they're like, and what are you going to do about it if I don't? And you're like, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. They're like, good. So sit back and relax as I attack or as I lunge, right? (laughs) So how do you feel like when you're outside, realistically, when you're asking Coda to do these things, do you feel like he is like, oh, yeah, I know these, but I'm not doing it? Do you feel like you've transitioned that fairly where you're practicing inside, but then when you go outside, he's like, what what do you feel? No, he's, he's very good. One, if there's not another dog around, he's doing the obedience outside very well on the walks. Okay. We've done a lot of that, and he's very comfortable. It, to the point that I think I've probably done too much because he just gets fed up because, as I say, I'm not sure whether a walk should be enjoyable for him. Uh, uh, yes, it should be, but I'm doing so much training, mm-hmm. and he's on a short lead that he just – I I can see why he gets fed up with it. He gets frustrated, yeah. So the other part of this is handling too. So, um, you know, uh, handling is is how you're um, maneuvering through these situations. So I've seen a lot of dog owners that get really, uh, they get really bad with handling. So what they'll do is they'll actually like, um, they do all the wrong things, right? So the dog gets in front of them or behind them or yelling at them or hollering at them. So that would be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, I would suggest, hey, I wanted to remind you guys, if you guys have specific dog training questions that you're struggling with, that you're working through, and you want a professional and you want to talk to a professional, I have my team in the members club right now. So if you guys are struggling with your dog, you can access my members club pro team which is my personal trainers at the Upstate Canon Academy as much as you want with a monthly subscription as well as get access to all the uncut videos you see on YouTube. So the YouTube videos are 10, 15 minute long. The uncut videos are literally hour, hour and a half to two hours plus you get the community. So I urge everybody out there, if you're struggling or you want to be part of an amazing No Bad Dog community online, you can join the members club by clicking the link in the description below. You can join the pro team as well and you have access to my personal training staff every day of the week throughout the month that you're a member and we appreciate the support click the link below to join a couple different things is uh well what you're using right now as far as a harness goes it's going to be very difficult for you to gain the control that you need once he flies off the end of the leash 
because then you're just holding on. And that's what the that's that's what the harness you know essentially does. Just in general, is it it just allows you to hang on. It doesn't give you that control that you may need in those situations. It can be kind of dangerous too, especially if it's a bigger dog. Um, so I would recommend. Uh, depends on. Depends on the size of the dog. How 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 big is he? He's quite tall, but he's quite elegant and and athletic. So he's um he's only twenty seven, twenty eight kilos. Okay. But he's quite tall. Okay. So tall, but skinny. You could do um, like a plastic pinch collar would be nice. A slip leash would be nice. So you were using a slip chain before, like a chain uh, yeah. collar. Yeah. Those don't really work because they don't stay in position at all. They're heavy metal. They yeah. slide out of position. Was... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I would recommend – I can send you a couple links of some products I would recommend – but th- here's the right. re- here's the reality is when you tell him, hey, man, heal, he's like, no, your relationship is going to matter in that moment of what you're going to do. It's like that pinnacle moment in a movie where you yeah. get the main character that's like, this is how things are going to go. And you get the, the kind of the co-main character that's either going to say, yeah, you're right, got it, or it's going to say, no, 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 I'm in charge. Then you have to have this. Well, no, no, no. So I think that the lack of control and the lack of accountability when your dog does decide to say, no, I'm not healing. I know what you want, but I'm not doing it. I think that that's where that control is going to come in. So like a nice uh, plastic pinch collar would be really nice uh, to allow you to have more power steering because then you have your cake and eat it too where you're like heal and he's like, no, I'm not healing. When you apply the pressure from a collar that has action, so collars who have action, can like like the slip leash that the slip collar that you had, except it's going to stay in place. So it kind of comes in and out, and it, it gives the dog pressure. You know, when the dog moves, it's really helpful. It's it's it sounds it, and to some people it may sound like, how can that be the only thing? It's like, well, if you show up to a job site that requires a screw gun and you have a hammer you're not going to be able to get the job done. And it's that simple. You're like, oh, I got one, right? And sometimes that is the case where you get a dog that's like, oh, there's these dogs. And so you're never maybe going to be able to change his interest in these other dogs because of his innate, like, I lived on the streets and I have to protect myself and I have to whatever. And and that may be the case. That may not be the case. I'm not sure. I don't know your dog. But it doesn't again it doesn't matter what spectrum your dog is on if they're very excited to see other dogs because they love other dogs or the exact opposite your responsibility and your job as a dog owner is to control the dog in those circumstances so you can live a well balanced stress free life because you have an animal at the end of that rope and your responsibility as you navigate through your life is to control that animal and so those are that's going to be really helpful for you the other thing I want to talk about is your handling. So I'm just going to give you some some tips here and we can dive into what you think that you're doing wrong or right or feedback. But typically when I'm handling, I keep the dog on one side, so left or right. Uh, I always go left. Some of my clients go right. But we're handling with the dog and we're out. And typically what I do is I use my left leg to cut the dog off. So I'll come forward yep. and I'll turn around and I'll cut the dog off and I'll go one way 
so that's what's that's what we call like an inside turn. So what I'll do is I'll go to heel and I'll come out and then I'll take my left leg and I'll turn and I'll go the other way. And this gives me an opportunity to really control the dog's headspace, literally. I always tell people wherever the mind goes, the or wherever the head goes, the mind will follow type thing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm coming out with the dog and he starts to maybe see another dog and he spruits up like this and his ears go forward mm-hmm. and his eyes perk up and he's like, oh, I might take my left leg and just cut back the other way for about four seconds. I'm not going back home. I'm just saying, hey, chill. Um, and I'm doing outside turns and I'm doing stop and goes because some dogs are so easy to just navigate through life. But there's other dogs where you have to slow things down and compartmentalize things. Hey, slow down. Okay, move forward. Slow down. Pay attention. Move forward. Pay attention. Okay, break. So I think with an accumulation of the things you've already done, I think you should get some sort of collar and piece of equipment that's going to help you power steer a lot easier. And it's going to be safer for him too because he's not pulling and choking himself out and all that stuff that you see with some of the other equipment that you've had. But your handling also has to has to get better as well. So you, you have to you have to become more engaging for him. Um, and when you go outside, I'm assuming the reward-based systems that you use probably goes out the window because he's too stimulated by the distraction. Is that? Yeah. 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 But I think maybe I've started the whole process too late. Possibly. Not too late to get better, but too late to you know, take full advantage of, of, you know, starting early. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, no, what I mean is in each situation, I think, you know, um, I, I'm not correcting him. I, I'm saying no coda and heal when he starts to, to hackle and, and crouch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's when I should be using the negative reinforcement. Yeah. You could be using the negative reinforcement with leash pressure. Absolutely. Um, but, but I think more importantly, you could also, you could also, you also have to make sure that when you're doing this, that you have the ability to practice all the things that you're doing in order to, uh, in order to apply the successful handling. So what that Mm. means is. Don't, when I talk about this to clients, I don't mean like you need to practice. It's not like, like if I was, I'm a coach, right? That's what I do. I'm in the people business. I'm not in the dog business. The dogs are the easy, Mm. the dogs take me minutes, you know, it's very quick, very easy. So if I was a coach for an an athlete, I wouldn't say like, oh, you got a game on Sunday. Okay. Well, when Sunday, it's today's Monday. Okay. When Sunday comes around, no, no, no. Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have to be practicing and practicing and practicing. So when you get into that pocket and that defensive guy and that whatever, you have the muscle memory to know what to do. So the other thing that you have to make sure that you do is you have to make sure that you're practicing what you're going to apply when you need it. Inside turns, turning inside, turning outside, recalling the dog, backing up, all these things. Because it's not – I mean, look, we have a – we have an animal at the end of a rope, and we want that animal to to walk in slow motion with us past another animal that could be lunging at us. That is a hard ask, and to be honest, it's mm-hmm. it's quite difficult to you you got to have real control with your dog. Your dog mm-hmm. has to have real 
self-understanding and real self, uh, uh, self-monitoring and, and has to really be self-limiting to what they can do in those situations. But that's a decision. And they're choosing this decision over like, do I want to get in trouble or do I want to go gangbusters with this dog? But those are the things realistically that we have to ask ourselves. Well, what what are you going to – like that's what the dog is going to say. The dog's going to say like, what are you going to do about it if I rob the bank? What are you going to do about it if I eat a whole dozen donuts? Like, What are you going to do about it if I want to do these things because I need money or I'm hungry, right? It's like, well, if there's no consequence and there's no boundaries and there's no there's no accountability for anything in, in what we're doing. And what I mean by that is this real accountability. I'm not talking about looking at your dog and telling them that you're upset. I'm not talking about hollering at your dog and yelling at them because they don't give a shit about that either. I'm talking about when your dog says, I'm going to go you know, lunge at this dog and it's not about pain either, and it's not about it's not about hurting your dog by any means, but it's about making sure that the dog understands that whatever they're doing is wrong. So if your dog does respond to you saying, hey, leave it, and they're like, oops, then that's great. But oftentimes dogs aren't sensitive enough for that because they're animals and they're savages. So I just – like you said, I think your timing, like you said, is important. So you have to go out and you have to practice – your inside mm-hmm. turns and your outside turns and your reward system. So what I typically do for a dog like Coda is this. Is I go out, I walk, I say Coda heel, <clears throat> and then I I st- I stop and I walk backwards. Like I start walking backwards. I say Coda come. Now typically dogs like Coda who are overly stimulated by their surroundings and environments in the real world, which is most dogs because they're like, "Ooh, I've been inside all day. This is great." So I come out I say, I start drawing back. So I backpedal. I'm still facing front. The dog is probably walking away from me. I say, Coda, come. Coda just goes, you know, doesn't even acknowledge that A, the handler is gone. Like the ship's left the the building, right? (laughs) Excuse me. And then B, that I said, hey, Coda, come. The dog's just so overly stimulated and or the dog's like, no, when we're outside, we don't listen. There's so much going on. Mom, dad, just be quiet. I got things to do. <laughs> so there's a, there's accumulation depending on the dog. And some dogs are so scared to be outside that they're like, don't leave me. But Coda is probably more of the dog that's like, hey, I grew up on these streets. I, I don't mind. I can be by myself. So when we say, Coda, come. What I do is I use the leash. And if the dog doesn't come to my direction, I go pop. And the dog, and all that does is it snap. It's a correction. It snaps the dog out of whatever state. Oh, shit. And they scurry back to you. Good come. Thank you very much. I go forward again. I walk forward. And this is all like within like, you know, a quick little 15 second program. Super easy. I walk forward again. I say, Coda, come. The dog's like, boom, pop. Oh, scurries back to me. I walk forward again. I say, Coda, come. The dog goes, I go, yes, good come. Boom. And I pay the dog. And I do that with different things. I do an inside turn. I do an outside turn. I do a recall. But the point is, is, you have to pay attention to the handler, but also if I ask you to do something and you're just like, who are you? That's a problem. And it's a problem on so many different levels because even if you had a bag of food, right? So we talk about a currency game. We talk about marketing to our dogs. I had a bag of food and I go out and the dog's like, oh, food, cool. And I pay the dog and then we step outside and then all of a sudden all this over, it's like move. It's like a movie where you... The scene kind of like all these sounds come overwhelming and these smells and these colors and these lights and all these all these things. 
And then you're like, hey, I got food. They're like, food? I do not care about food. Look at all these dogs. Look at all these people. Look at all these buildings, lights. You know, all these things are going on. Water, birds, whatever. And so your marketing to the dog is gone. You can't compete. You're done. So you have to then, what, what else you got? Well, I can pull the dog away. I can literally drag the dog out of the situation. I can mm. wait 30 minutes to the dog for the dog not to be stimulated. None of these things are realistic, and none of these things are things that normal people would do, in my opinion. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to do that, and I don't think you would either. So having that quick pop of the collar, because when you pull on a harness, a harness is it was invented for the dog to pull safely. So when you pull on a harness, it comes around their shoulders, through their chest, and back up. So when you pull, it's just pulling their 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 whole cavity and and it allows them to pull. So that doesn't get their attention, right? Because you're kind of just nagging on somebody. But like a horse, like if we tried to control a horse by their back leg, we'd be in trouble. You can't do that. You have to take what's in charge, which is their head. But we're not going to put. I mean, we could use a gentle leader or a thing like that. But but I find putting the gentle leader and the in the in the muzzles and the uh, the 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 what you call it the easy walks on their face. I, I've tried to use those before, but dogs just go and they take them off really quick. It becomes so distracting that it, taking the easy walk off the dog's head becomes more of a challenge in training. So that's why we just used really precision-based collars that sit right behind the dog's muscles, behind the ears, that gives you that power steering. Very simple, very basic. So we come out, we say, Coda, come. He's like, nah, flips you off. You give a quick pop, and he's like, oh, my bad, and he comes to you. So you have to encompass like all those things, but you have to do this 10 to 1. So you're doing this 10 times before you even see a dog, just so the dog is aware of what they're, what they should, because it's the only fair way to do it. You don't want to go out and say, Hey, this is the, this is Sunday. Here's the big game. Ready to learn how to throw the ball. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So you just have to make sure that you're practicing these things before you ultimately get to the challenge. So Mm. it's fair for your dog because they have the expectations of, I know what I'm supposed to be doing so they can, they can get out of the situation where they're like, oh, I can escape this by listening, I guess. So that's kind of my rundown for you. I think that you should be working on all of those things before you do anything else because that's the fundamental breakdown of typically why people can't get their dog's attention or control their dogs in that environment. Does that make sense? And so, so like... I had um, I did have success with a gentle leader. Um, getting it on and off was was pretty easy for us. Good. And he wasn't distracted with it, trying to get it trying to get it off. He was comfortable with it. It was never really tight around his nose, unless he did pull when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, what I suppose I'm struggling with is then when it's break and he wants to dart off the side of the street and sniff something, he's pulling again, and so. Whether it's a prong collar or whether it's a gentle leader, mm. all of these um, negative reinforcements come into play because he's he's breaking. Yes, it's a great question, excellent question. A couple things. One thing is is when you're using the prong or a plastic pinch or anything with action, that collar doesn't affect the dog historically, typically, at all, unless you pop the collar. That's the big misconception with prongs in general or plastic pinch collars or even slip collars to some degree. The 
pop, like I've done this several times with different videos and things is I put a prong collar on a dog, the dog drags you if they want. The prong itself when it's on doesn't do what it needs to do because <clears throat> it doesn't, they're not sharp or anything. They don't cut the dog. They don't hurt the dog. Sure. They, it, what, it's the pop that you're doing. Now with the gentle leader or the head halty, I've used, like I said, I've used them before and they work in a similar manner, but they work more like, um, like a halty for a horse when there's, it's negative reinforcement. When the, when the dog applies pressure, it's uncomfortable for them because it's putting pressure on their pressure points and then they want to release that pressure. So the break mm. for the dogs becomes a little less enjoyable rather than if you use the prong or you use something else because you can have a dog pull you on a prong and they could care less because it's the action of the that gets the dog's attention. You're snapping that to get their attention. See what I'm saying? So that's the difference yeah. just technically. Okay. Okay, so like a long a long um pressure. The pressure coming up all yeah. at once and holding there is not going to it's it's like a flat collar. But the correction okay. when you when you so the prong collar is like okay. this and and yeah. when you use it it should go yeah. like this up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. But when the dog okay. pulls, it just constant pressure and that shouldn't do anything. It can. I mean, to really sensitive dogs who've never felt pressure, it can. But generally speaking, the majority of dogs will pull right through that. And it doesn't, that's, that's the thing about prongs that so many people are un uneducated about that they just think that when the prongs on and the dog walks through it a little bit, that it hurts the dog. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's, it's, it's when you get the dog's attention and you snap it and you say, Hey, pay attention is, 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 is how that works. Um, okay. so, so when the dog's on a break, um, and they're pulling and, and the same thing with like the plastic pinch collar, it, 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 it only works if you snap the, the collar. And the reason why the, that we use the prongs on those collars and the, it's the, the prong collar is the same mechanics as a martingale collar, uh, that has action. But the reason why the prong collar is more effective and safer is because the points of pressure from the prong collar distribute the pressure evenly. And so you're not just working on one point and the dog is like choking themselves out. It's, it's coming up in uniform and it's going whoosh, all together, whoosh, all together. So it'd be the difference between one person trying to pull a car out of a ditch versus 20 people with 20 points of pressure pulling a car out of a ditch. The more points of pressure you have, the more control you're going to have and more power uh, that you're going to have. So yeah. totally, it's a great question, but um, mechanically... That's how things work. But that doesn't mean if you're in a perfect heel and he, he is in a perfect heel and he's walking and you say, go to break, and then he sprints off and he hits that leash. It doesn't mean that that's not going to correct him because it certainly could. But when you say, okay, break, and he kind of, you know, wanders off and you kind of, he just kind of like, you know, has that constant pressure. That's okay. That's not going to, that's not going to affect him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and should the lead be um, a short lead, uh, one that good question is mm. so. Um, for it depends on it's it's really okay. So for me, I always use four foot leashes, and then when I break the dog, they have all four. But when I'm healing, they have two and a half. 
But for you, because the dog is happier and obviously every dog is going to be happier off leash running around, um, you can kind of mess around with that, you know, to see what's uh, it's, I don't know the environment that you're in and I don't know, you know, what, how much exercise your dog gets outside of that walk and what they need and what, so I would leave that up to you. But when I'm training, I, when I'm training and here's what I've done with puppies when I bring puppies out to transition from like my facility to outside where I'm like, okay, it's time to go to the real world. I'll, I'll, I'll have a harness on the puppy or a flat collar martingale. And then I'll have a flexi lead just in my pocket. And when I'm training with my normal leash and my collar, so if I have like a slip leash or a plastic pinch or whatever I'm using, I'm going out because they're different tools. All it is is tools. To, to help you with the the things that you're working on. And so when I'm working with a dog, um, it doesn't matter what equipment I'm using, but if I'm like, okay, it's time to break. If the dog isn't off-leash trained or I don't have a fenced-in area, I will stop for sit, good sit, and I'll simply just take my flexi out or my long line. Flexi is probably easier because you don't have to worry about the 30-foot, you know. Hook it onto the harness, unclip, break, and they break off for two to three minutes. Go to come. Same thing, you swap out. Some people are like, oh, that's too much. But, I mean, that's what a lot of people do because they don't want to let their dog off leash for many different reasons, but they also want their dog to explore and be a dog. So, you know, my clients live down by the river or they have these trails and they heal and they work all the way to these trails and then they break the dog. And so there's – so when you're training, you're training, right? But then when you're having this leisure walk, you're having this leisure walk and you can transition every three minutes. It doesn't have to be this – healing and training for four minutes and then you're breaking for 30 it can be incremental you just have to be patient and you have to have time to say okay i have an hour before i need to be somewhere we'll go out and we'll train and we'll just do heel work okay break and then heel work and then okay break um and that's how i would that's how i would do it okay yeah yeah i think that's a great great advice to switch it over yeah when you say a flexi lead, you mean a retractable one? Yeah? Yes, sorry. Flexi leash is the company that makes the retractables. Like it's a nice solid flexi. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And I do want to get to the point where I can have him off off the lead, mm-hmm. and the recall is that good that he's even going to come to me when he's seeing another dog in front of him. But I think that's stage two. Definitely, and it's totally possible. But I think again. It's the same application of what we're talking about is when reality sets in and that dog sees another dog and you're about 20 feet away and the other dog is 20 feet away. And you said, Coda, come. He's like, he looks at you and he's like, yes, this is how I got into remote collar training. My dog did the same thing. We were on a train track and I said, Hey bud, come here. And he saw the train coming and he saw the train track as this like runway and he ran. And I was like, yeah, not good. Very scary. Very deadly. That's why I got in the remote collar training because I realized my dog listens. He's good. But what if he doesn't? What's the worst case scenario that can happen? Well, depends on where you live. I mean, you know, insert the worst case scenario everywhere. So at that moment, it's practicing the recall with the long line and undistracted environment. So you paint the picture. Dogs see things in pictures. Oh, I've done this before. I've done this before. I've done, we, we see it too. We've seen this picture before. That's why we train. That's why we practice. That's why we study for anything. School, driver test, a date, closing a house, going into trial, whatever it is. We're all studying these things to, to 
know what to do and prepare ourselves. But then also when the dog goes, yeah, I know, I see what you want, but there's this dog. And then they go. That's when you don't let your dog off leash ever, or you use something responsible enough to enforce behaviors off leash, which is the only thing in the world you can do that with is a remote collar. So you can definitely do it. You just have to yeah, make sure that you, yeah, no worries. Letting the dog in. Yeah, no problem. Out. No problem. But yeah, you could do that. Sorry, you just, no, you're fine. You're fine. You could do that. It just takes, it just takes a, a skillful, um, you know, thing uh, to, and I can, I, there, I have a, a course on that too, because I'm not sure how much remote collar training is going on in Italy and, um, you know, what your plans are, but uh, yeah, that's something that you could do. And then you're, you could have your cake and eat it too, okay. which is fun. Amazing. Amazing. I'd love that. So we have the remote collar, but as I say, I just don't know how to use it and I don't know whether I'm, you know. Yeah. I can send you a link to my course. So we, right. we, we, we filmed, I think for 12 hours. And we put together a two-hour course in accumulation. And we took this puppy, German Shepherd, young German Shepherd, I should say. I think she was eight, eight months. And we trained her on it on the on film. So we, she went from not knowing the e-collar at all to being awfully strained. It's pretty cool. I'll send mm. that to you. Amazing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No problem. Then in terms of people, you know, I just I think I need to be much more disciplined to communicate to the people that they can't look at the dog or touch the dog, um, give them some time to get comfortable. You know, unfortunately, with a lot of people, that's like, shit, this dog could be ferocious. Um, I'm scared of the dog now. And so, you know, it, it's it's very counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But there's no choice you know and so we have the muzzle on um and it's we've only just started doing that because i was very against using the muzzle because it you know created oh shit that's a scary dog mm-hmm. um a bad stigma whereas you know it's much more peace of mind now and i think he senses the uh, our more conf- our level of confidence that there's a muzzle there it's okay um and yeah. yeah, that's it. You 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 got it. Uh, when you're out in public and people are just interested in your dog, typically the muzzle is a good. Hey, deter. Yeah, you typically. Um, but yeah, I, I think just telling people, oh, sorry, he's in training, and just uh, keeping it that way. And then if you have people over, friends and family, things like that, that's when you can you know you cross those cross those bridges when you get there. Um, but, but again, like, you know, having a feral dog get worked into, uh, it's like trying to take a square and put it in a round hole. It's like trying to make mm-hmm. it fit. And sometimes they just aren't comfortable with it and they're not happy with it. Like, I don't want to meet your friend. I don't want to meet your aunt. I don't want to meet, I don't want to, I don't want to. <laughs> sometimes they, you know, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And you just have to advocate. And I think, um, <clears throat> the hardest thing for dog owners under those circumstances is feeling bad that our dog can't meet new people when the reality is, is they don't want to, they'd rather not. And we don't, it's not a failure or regression to any regard. If your dog doesn't meet new people, I think people find it a challenge. And I'm like, I don't like olives. There's nothing anybody can do to get me to like olives. I don't like them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how you dress them up, put blue cheese in them, put them in a martini. I don't like them. So dogs are kind of like that too, where 
they're like, hey, I don't know this person. I'm not comfortable with them touching me. I'm not comfortable with them talking to me. And typically, because the general public is very ignorant about how to greet an insecure, fearful dog, the first thing they do is they hold their hand out, they get on their level, and they talk to them. And the dog's like, you know. So I, But I would say there's certainly ways that you can introduce your dog to new people that are going to be in your life that there's there's an actual ROI on teaching this dog how to coexist with these people cuz they're going to be around certainly a way to do that but as far as it goes outside in public where people just want to selfishly pet a dog you're just like sorry this you know wait 5 seconds and pet the next dog that's dying to meet you leave us alone mm. so yeah. yeah that's all yeah good okay Fantastic. Um, okay, I'm clear on that now. Um, so if he was too young to be castrated, um, I was reading up that some vets in the U.S. Um, are prescribing testosterone supplements for dogs, and, and what do you think of that? Well, I don't know much about it. Um it's a conversation that I've had several times with veterinarians and people in the industry in the in the in that world. The only thing we know, as you said, is it takes away the testosterone, which could obviously like if we did that with people, especially with like men who who generally create a, a lot of testosterone and some more than others, and we took we took that chemical away from their body, you're obviously gonna see a change, right? You're gonna see something. Like something's going to happen. It's like if we took mm. away dopamine from somebody, it's like, well, there, there's some, there's going to be a consequence to some degree or there's going to be change, whether it's good or bad. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not a veterinarian, but I'm just, it's it, that's exactly what I would assume would happen. So we do know that that happens. Um, their testosterone is gone. And so that can create a, obviously an imbalance, especially with a dog that sexually matures. So once a dog sexually matures, like with puppies, and I don't know this for sure, but puppies don't get testosterone. And if they do, it's it's minimal, I would assume. I don't know for sure. But once a dog fully sexually matures, they have that testosterone. And then when you take it away, their body may not know. So sometimes it's like, geez, it's – it's you. so first of all, you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. And that's why from – I look at this as a dog owner lover perspective – of like what would I, not a professional because there's so many different things that could happen. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse, but I keep dogs intact for females until they go at least into their second heat and then for males until they until their growth plates and everything. So you can get a dog to orthopedically structurally fully mature. So if I had a like my St. Bernard when he was alive, he was 145 pounds. If I fixed him early, and I didn't give his body an opportunity to fill out for his bones to fully mature and be strong, he may not have an opportunity to handle the weight that's going to happen. His 140 pounds, his puppy bones or his, you know, his puppy growth plates are trying to keep up with his adult weight, and that may not happen for sure. Mm. I don't know. That's why I kept him intact. And I will say he lived until he was 12 for St. Bernard, and that's – pretty good for a large breed mm. dog but also orthopedically he was beautiful because i think it kept him intact so that helped so anyway testosterone sidetracked um i don't know 
it could it could work against you, it could work with you, but it's worth a shot. I mean, worst case scenario is is it doesn't do anything or it makes it worse and you stop giving the pill or whatever. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's just a matter of trying to find someone over here that can do that. Yeah. It's not it's not as um, embraced as it is in the US. Um he Coder is um licking and chewing his back paws to the it, they're not bleeding but they're very red but only like early in the morning mm-hmm. um i don't know why um i've changed his diet uh, we move around a bit because we have a house in the uk as well so he eats raw food in the uk here he eats really good quality wet and dry food um does he it- stopped eating dairy does he itch like that uh, on the raw food? Yeah. Okay. Um, my dog can do that too. Uh, she like chews at her nails for some reason. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it could be. I know that what I've done with my clients in conjunction with veterinarians and nutritionists and all that fun stuff has been process of elimination, like you said at the end there, like dairy and mm. grain and things like that. Um, there also could be allergies, uh, like environmental, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. allergies, <clears throat> and sometimes not environmental. So if you're in the UK and then you're in Italy or whatever, obviously they're probably, I would assume they're two different uh, environments that would that would produce different environmental allergens, but I, I would assume. So... I don't know. I think I would be looking at process of elimination of certain diet things and then outside of diet. Mm. Um, I've seen dogs do this uh, behaviorally too. It can become a, mm. an OCD type of thing, like chasing your tail. Like dogs do that. Like there's no, there's no reason in their diet that that's happening, but it could be like an OCD, a boredom or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird that it's it's the same time every day. Yeah, that that's, that's what it. I mean. That's what I mean. Is like yeah. if it was an allergy thing. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess different things can flare up at different times, right? But if it's a behavioral thing, it might be consistency with like a clock of like in the morning when I'm waiting or I got nothing else to do, I'm grooming myself or whatever. I don't know. So the only thing I would recommend is, and I know that you already have, but trying to eliminate certain things within the diet to see if it helps clear it up. You could try, um, I don't know, it's tough to say. Um, did it happen in, in, in a, like try to find a variable? Like, is there any variables or any isolating things of like only when, like, was there a time that it started to happen or was it an age? Yeah. No, not really. It's just it's just been the last sort of four months, and he's as I say he's been in different places. Mm. So it's not the place either. I don't think. Anyway, look. Thank you. I I um I will keep trying different different eliminations. I think and see how we go. Yeah. All right, you guys, you reached the end of the podcast. I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. The first comes from Alice or no Taylor Alice maybe. Five-star review. These podcasts never seem to disappoint. Always five stars for me. I've been listening since I got my German Shepherd puppy, and I've learned so much from these podcasts. And where am I? 
and your YouTube videos. You're an amazing person and I love your training methods and how, how you focus on teaching the handler how to handle their dog instead of doing all the work. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. My girl has grown so much working on the prong collar and allows us to be successful on walks and in public. We are also starting to learn with the mini educator. It's amazing. She is a puppy and she's to- and she is the puppy she is today because of your videos, Tom. So thank you so much for all the amazing free content. The biggest struggle we are facing that I would love your advice on is counter surfing and jumping on people. She gets so excited when she meets new people and she wants to jump. I give corrections on the prong and have her sit, but it hasn't clicked yet and she cannot do that. Okay, and for the counter surfing, we are working on place so she can be sent there when we're cooking and eating. Do you have any advice to help me out get get through these in the jumping? She will sit as people approach, but then after they are petting her, she will jump on them and she gets so excited. So I well, first of all, thank you for the review. Appreciate the kind words. I think you're just you're almost all the way there. Just make sure that you're using a verbal marker. So it's got to be an off. I have never met a dog that I can remember that completely ignored the correction when we did it right, right? Dog jumps up, off, boom, off, boom, off, yes, good. So just make sure that your verbals are really clear. You're letting the dog know, hey, this is inappropriate behavior, but your timing on your verbals is really important. So the dog jumps up, off, boom, you correct the dog. Just got to make sure that your timing is good. And you can use any type of leash. You can use any type of collar. But if you're using the prong collar, that's fine too. But as soon as the dog jumps off, jumps jumps up, you just want to make sure that your verbal is there. Say the dog's name if it's if they're having a hard time with capturing this and it's taking some time. Say the dog's name. Fido, off, boom. You know, enforcing with that correction. And I would be practicing this with friends and family as they come over. But I think you're almost all the way there. I just feel like right now you're probably not being as clear with your verbals to make it sustainable so that way you don't need any equipment in the future. So I haven't found any time ever adopt. I say that, I mean, it even sounds crazy when I say it, but I'm serious. Like it's such an easy concept. The dog rises up to get attention. We correct the dog with whatever we're using. Could even be verbal. So corrections don't mean physical. It could be verbal, ah, ah, off. And the dog goes, oop, my bad. And you pay the dog with rewards. And the reward also doesn't have to be food. Simply be your voice. Good. That's it. So uh, that's as simple as that. And I and I hope that, that helps. Uh, work on it. Let me know how it goes. Another, another question here, Bell's Dog Training, five-star review. I have watched all your content and listened to almost every single one of your podcasts. And because of you, I've started up my own dog training business. Amazing. One of the episodes, I think it was 153 about the e-collar ban. I tried to email New York about how the e-collar saved my dog's life, but not sure how. It just takes me it takes me to another email. Not not sure where else to go. But um, do you have any tips on starting the dog training business? I'm starting to enter every session with an open mind and hearing clients' concerns and frustration with the dog. Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm so happy that you um, started your own business, and I'm happy to be a part of that inspiration or any any part of that motivation to get you there. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing to me that you're, you've changed your career path because of you know anything that I've done. That's pretty cool. To it's just cool as a human being to to hear those things. So thank you. Uh, and I think as far as the e collar ban, I will tell you. Oh, maybe I should say that I should probably tell you guys the e collar ban in the United States is now dead in the water. Uh, I think that they're re- trying to reissue The people who really don't want it here are trying to reissue it. It, it. it was immediately stopped before it even went anywhere from what I understand. So that's good. But um, so 
um, I guess there's a page, the IACP. So first of all, you should join the IACP. It's the International Association of Canine Professionals. Um, it's a it's a professional organization that does exactly how it sounds. It's, it's an organization of canine professionals that gives you all sorts of different uh, opportunities to know what's going on. And, and they have an amazing, I've never actually been, but they have an amazing conference each year. Uh, and it's a cool thing to be involved in. And, and they'll be able to like help you out pushing the direction of these things that, you know, if people say, hey, and you know, the hard thing for me is, is I, I would, I don't want to ever have to say like, you know, use my, use my following to to be like, oh, we got to go. And I mean, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the e-collar is one of those things that if it gets banned and I don't say anything, it's like, oh man, like what, what was I doing? I should have said something to to my people who use the e-collar and it's utilized by them. So I would just reach out to them. Uh, again, it's the IACP. So it's the International Association of Canine Professionals. Um, that's a good place to start too as a dog uh, trainer or a new dog trainer getting into industry to give you all sorts of different stuff. But I think what you're doing is great. I think just, again, take it step by step. Take it day by day. I mean, it's like dog comes in, take a deep breath, you go, okay. And just stay in your lane, really. I mean, um, that's the best thing I can I can tell people. It's the best advice is don't get out of control. Don't get out of your control. Don't get out of your comfort zone just yet. Make sure that you're building on how to delay the or relay rely the information back to the dog owner and, and as well as be comfortable with the dogs that you're working with like if you're really great at obedience and that's what you love and that's what you're focused on just be mindful about the dogs you're taking in and vice versa so i would just say make sure that you're doing the things that you're good at naturally and the things that you really enjoy doing so you don't get burnt out and you also don't get upset with how a session went because maybe you just did something like i wouldn't go and teach an agility class because that's not like what I love and I don't really know much about it. But, you know, last last night I did a talk at a college about dog behavior to vet students. That was cool. That's right up my alley. That's all I do for a living. So I would just say just stay in your lane respectfully. I'm not trying to say that in, in, in any muddy water at all. Like stay in your lane. I'm just saying stick to what you're good at. Stick to what you're passionate about. Stick to what you really like doing. And I think that you'll just naturally continue to evolve into you know, being great. So that's my recommendation on that. And I appreciate you listening and I appreciate your support. Next one comes from Springmeyer Goldens, Crazy Goldens Five Star Review. So I have two golden retrievers and a mixed dog. I don't know what she is, but both Goldens will attack the mixed dog, Oakley. And the last time I was nervous that Oakley was going to, I was nervous that Oakley was not going to survive. One of the Goldens I use for search and rescue work, and she's very well trained and, and obedience wise. And the other one, she just is a, she's just a homebody. We breed Goldens, and my fiance parents got a puppy from us recently, and she had been staying with us throughout the week sometime. And this only happens when puppies are involved. I have been creating them separately after the last incident, and I just don't know what else, just don't know what else to do. So, I mean, I'll give you advice that where I can. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people to just find a trainer. As you guys know, you know, I always suggest in these situations to probably go out and find a trainer that can help you with this. But, um, if you can find the variable, I mean, if it's puppies, then you're going to have, who knows why these things are happening. But, um, it, this is a little confusing for me because it says that the two goldens are fighting your mixed dog Oakley. But at the end it says, this only happens when puppies are involved. So if you're breeding goldens, 
puppies are always going to be involved or at least seasonally involved with your life. And you would just hate for Oakley to get the short end of the stick, uh, almost dying from these fights. Like That's not good. So my recommendation for you, other than go out and find a professional that can help you with what's going on, is to try to figure out if it's a resource guarding thing or if it's a protective thing. But, I mean, I know that you say that your other dog is a homebody, but if your homebody isn't listening, then it doesn't matter Like if they're a homebody or they're very extroverted and they, they go out and they socialize all the time. But at the end of the day, like your dog's trying to kill another dog is not good and it's not appropriate. Well, obviously you're just, I mean, I don't know how to explain this, man. I mean, obviously, obviously you're dealing with severe aggression and obviously this is not good. And so I don't know exactly why these things are happening because I would need a significant amount of context other than, you know, four or five sentences about, Hey, my two goldens are trying to kill my other dog. What do I do? But the best thing to do is again, is try to find somebody that can investigate the situation to try to help you progress, to figure out what the triggers are, to figure out what the reasoning is, figure out the things that you're doing to potentially trigger these things. But if one goes to search and rescue and the other one's a homebody, regardless of what they do and how they do it, I mean, they're still trying to kill this other dog. And if it's only around puppies, it could be a protective thing or it could be, I don't know, it could be, um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, like I said, this is a very in-depth thing and that, that just kind of goes for anybody out there that's dealing with, um, you know, issues with their dogs. I mean, if it's really in-depth like this, hey, we have two dogs that are trying to kill this dog, I mean, I don't, I'd have to know like, okay, my first thing is obviously these guys probably don't like each other, period. I mean, so you have a decision to make of how are you going to manage this situation? How often are these attacks happening? When they are happening, what are the variables? Well, it's only when puppies are around. Okay, well, then you can't have puppies around, period. Like that, or you're going to have to create and rotate as there's puppies around. I mean, Without looking at the situation, I mean, even if you corrected these dogs for doing something wrong or teaching them how to do obedience better, if they don't like this other dog, specifically when there's puppies around, there's nothing you can do to change that. The only thing that you can really do is manage the situation when puppies are around. Like, this is, becomes a resource guarding thing. This becomes a possessive thing. This becomes a protective thing. I'm not sure. But you know for sure that, hey, listen, these two Goldens could care less about Oakley any given day. But as soon as there's a puppy involved, they want to kill Oakley. And in fact, they almost did. So your responsibility at this point is to keep Oakley safe because I can't tell you, and I can't really give you advice on like why these things are happening, but I just don't know, you know, your last thing is I just don't know what else to do, but you just don't know what else to do. Just make it a very clean variable. Hey, these two Goldens, awesome with each other. These two Goldens with Oakley, awesome with each other. These two Goldens with Oakley with a puppy, terrible. They fight, they try to kill the other dog, and it's only when that happens. Well, then you can't have puppies around anymore, or you have to create and rotate. So I don't want to sound redundant and keep saying these same things over and over again, but, um, you know, I just, I hope that helps. Um, you know, alternatively, I'd love to, you know, if you get signed up for my, my, um, my consulting service, I'd love to, like, get some more context, really, about what's going on. So uh, we have two more because there's two more that I haven't covered, and I'm just going to bang them out right now, and hopefully you guys are listening. We can get some more questions in. Love the podcast as a trainer. Mow the dog trainer. Hey, Tom, mow the dog trainer. Just wanted to say I love your podcast and listen to it on Spotify. 
and I wanted to come to iTunes and give you a shout out. Well, thank you so much, Mo the Dog Trainer. I appreciate you. I'm a professional trainer, and I just love your information and I learned a lot from you. And I was a, I was positive, but I was only positive, but now I'm a balanced trainer, and just want to help dogs just like you. So thanks, man. Keep up the podcast coming to a listening ear. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you, Mo the Dog Trainer. All right, Red Head with Heart five star review. What would you say are the best confidence building exercises? Well, as a general rule for confidence building for dogs in general, I think just getting them to do new things that they could potentially be afraid of. There's not a lot of confidence to be built where confidence exists. I just made that up, but it makes sense. Hit the head, hit the hammer on the head, the hand, the hand, the head on the hammer. <laughs> However, that freaking saying goes. But really, if a dog is like fearful of like the place command is a perfect example. Hey man, go get on this bed. I can't. It's a scary bed. And then you walk them on there and they're like, oh, it's not so bad. This bed's not so bad. It's not bad at all. Like, okay, cool. Hey, hop on this uh, chair. Oh, I can't. It's a chair. It's scary. Okay, it's not so bad. So confidence building is essentially trying. you're trying to put the dog in situations and scenarios where they start breaking down different things that they were afraid of that they aren't anymore. Like, again, confidence building with the bed or... Even just doing obedience. Hey, man, sit. Dog's like, what? What's sit? I've never heard sit before, right? You give him a little bit of pressure. Dog puts his butt on the ground. Boom, good sit. Good job. They're like, whoa, I did something. This is great. They turned off pressure. You rewarded him. It's 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 good for your relationship. The dog's like, oh, this is great. So you kind of build the dog up that way too. That's good for confidence. So there's just a lot of, there's really a lot of different things that you can do to build confidence. Um, but Typically, it's finding things around your house or your environment that isn't detriment to the dog, which means it's not unfair, right? So mm, stairs, not unfair, but scary. Um, jumping through a burning hula hoop, unfair and scary, things like that. So, you know, cones, um, vacuums, anything that you can find where your dog can be like, Oh, I, I can't do this. It's a little scary. And you could be like, Hey man, I'm going to walk you through this. And then they get over it as a good way to build confidence. Also just exposure, environmental, environmental confidence. I would say getting into new places to help your dog become more confident is also an option. I think that would be really good to explore. It just depends on what your dog is lacking. But I think just in general, exposing your dog to new things and desensitizing them into new things. It's just like with people, um, where they're like, I don't really know if I can go into that building or I can't go into that office or I can't go into that restaurant or that bar or whatever. And you get in there and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And you start to warm up and you get super confident pretty quick. So any type of situation like that, but again, training in general can really boost your confidence with the dog just because it's very interactive with one another. It gives you an opportunity to ask a dog to do something that maybe they didn't know or maybe they were afraid of doing, or maybe they didn't know how to do it, or maybe they've never done it before. And so all of those hurdles, one to two to three to four, you're jumping over together with the dog, and you're rewarding them on the way. Hey, man, sit. What's that? Boom, sit. Yes, good. Hey, man, jump in the chair. Can't. Scary. What's that? Boom, good. Yes. Oh, it's not so bad. So there's just so much that you can do to help build dogs' confidence. Some dogs are at like their breaking point at the lowest part of their confidence. So sometimes it's a little bit more like, just walking with a person. And then other times it's like, hey man, my dog loves everybody but is afraid of things and I'm on a walk. That could be a different form of confidence building. So anybody out there that's 
wanting to ask me more questions, please do. Uh, I'd love to hear them. I'd love to give you my take on them quickly here on the podcast. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.